I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just like that, the final hour is here on this Wednesday edition. Hot Mike with Honey with Row across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us, however you're consuming the show today, online, uh, maybe on demand after the show airs, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, live each and every day. Coming up live with us in 20 minutes, Tom Glavin will join us. Chad, put that in perspective. Glavin on the show. My it's, childhood is very excited that Tom Glavin right. is coming on. Uh, one of my favorite, not just pitchers, not just baseball players, Athletes, favorite athletes growing up. Tom Glavin, a cool customer. Can't wait to talk some baseball with him as we are seven minutes away. Braves-Phillies, game three coming up from Philly. Coming up, college football rapid fire with uh, some of the the Heisman candidates, the the, the favorites right now uh, in Vegas, and we've got some head-to-head matchups in that across the college football slate. Right now, the top headlines of the day, a scorched earth on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Uh, Tom Brady defending his uh, former coach, Bill Belichick, based on what we're seeing in New England. Chad, I can't wait to get your uh, your comments on what we've seen the last two weeks with the Patriots and the Patriot way, which is the opposite way of what we're used to. But uh, speaking on the Let's Go podcast, which uh, posts each, every Tuesday, Brady said, I think results are different from what they've been, but I know he's got the same work ethic. He's got the same coaching style. I think the thing that's I think that I watch not only with the Patriots, but a lot of other things. Football is a hard sport. When I'm sitting here watching from afar, I realize, God, there are a lot of variables. There are a lot of things that need to go right in order for a team to have success. I was a part of a lot of those teams. I don't take any of those things for granted. I needed a great defense, a great kicker. great Obviously, need a great coach. Needed great receivers, O-line. If I was going to be a successful player, I was going to need all of those things. But here is the lesson. And all of this. And, of course, Tom Brady takes the high road and says all this. And I would expect nothing less from Brady. And I believe he believes what he's saying about Bill Belichick. He has the same work ethic. Check. Has the same coaching style. Check. Does he have the same quarterback? Absolutely not. And all things funnel around the quarterback. Brady's right. You need a good offensive line. You need playmakers. You need a good defense. You need coaching. You need all these things. But what is of the utmost importance is quarterback and the Patriots for 20 years had the best quarterback in the history of the game and what this is all proving is that quarterback means a hell of a lot more than head coach maybe the exception is the 49ers just maybe maybe it doesn't matter as much there and coach absolutely matters and Bill Belichick is certainly a hall of famer and one of the best to ever do it I'm not trying to say otherwise But there's no discussion of it anymore. There's no debate to be had. It was Brady. It was Brady, then it was Belichick with all the success in New England. And we're seeing that right now. Tom Brady's words confirm that. Belichick hasn't changed. His work ethic hasn't changed. His coaching style hasn't changed. His eye for talent hasn't changed. His quarterback has changed. 
And they've well, missed on, on some attempts I, to bring in players also. I, see, I think while things haven't changed, he also hasn't adapted, and they have missed in the draft, uh, his yeah. eye for talent. Uh, as far as Mac Jones is concerned, no, he has not been good. But that dude has nothing around him. And the handling of the rookie quarterback where he's in a Pro Bowl after year one, New England's in the postseason after year one of Mac, Mac Jones's career, to then go from that and Josh McDaniels, who takes the Raiders gig, to a situation where you have first-time play callers who are either on the defensive side of the football throughout their career or special teams coaches uh, with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, to then replace that with Bill O'Brien, now the third play caller in three years for Jones. And around him, where is the blue-chip talent? It's not there. Uh, it, the... You know, the, the, the mantra, the, the Patriot way was we're going to take good talent and they're going to perform at a great level for us. And yeah, they had the quarterback in Tom Brady. They also had defenses that were going to stop you dry if you were trying to uh, take the lead in the fourth quarter. Defenses got the stop in New England. They got the football back for their quarterback. And I don't see that happening at a very large rate in New England right now. In fact, uh, if you just... Think about the, the the top five elite quarterbacks in the league. Maybe you, you can't even name five elite players. There's only a very small amount, Chad, of quarterbacks that could take on the New England roster and actually produce the winning results. We, we, uh, Davey and I discussed yesterday, I'm tired of all the, the, the critics about uh, the, the criticism on Brock Purdy saying he's just the system guy. Because if you think it's just the system, I present Trey Lance. If it's the system, Trey Lance wouldn't be the NFL draft bust on uh, on the deep on the depth chart right now in Dallas. And I don't know, it, it, Purdy. I don't you don't drop Brock Purdy into New England, and he he's not going to have success there either based on that roster. There's only one, two, maybe three quarterbacks in the league that could produce based on that and elevate the talent around them because the talent there is they, they're desperate for it. They don't have it, and it's. It's bizarre how they've gone about things to the point where you mentioned the coaching style. Belichick is known for forcing the Patriots, and, and, and they've done this for years. Pouring down rain, if it's snowing outside in December in the regular season, they're going to practice in the elements. They were doing that going into the game against Dallas in a dome on the road. Belichick had that team out in a pouring uh, rainstorm in a, a deluge that week going into a game that week where they're playing in a dome that that's that's weird that's bizarre and it it's the, the patriot way has worked but the patriot way uh, is no longer the way to go you have to adapt to whatever team you have in a certain locker room and i don't think belichick has done that not nearly to the amount to the extent that would be assumed and some of the decisions are just peculiar especially going back to the coaches that were hired to coach Mac Jones. Yeah, and let's go back to the Patriots of, of years past. Belichick, a common denominator. Brady was Brady and a huge leader, but you brought up defense. Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel, Willie McGinnis, Gerard Mayo. Uh, we're spanning about 20 years of time with those names also. Yes. Did those guys put up with anything? Absolutely not. Did they challenge Tom Brady in the offense constantly? You bet your you-know-what they did. That's a big difference also. It's a player-led situation. Right. And Belichick was the perfect foil for all of that, and he had the perfect amount of organization 
and an eye for talent, all those things. And he was great. And it led to a dynasty. But And you went there to win. You, you, didn't, you didn't go there to have fun. Yes. You signed to win. And I, I look at even the, the Chiefs of today. And Andy Reid is great. I love Andy yeah. Reid. I'm not taking anything away from Andy Reid, but Andy Reid can sort of be Andy Reid and let his guys draw up plays in the dirt the week of the game and allow them to run them because he's got Mahomes and Kelsey and Chris Jones. He's got guys, leaders that he can count on that he knows they're pros and they're going to go out and get the job done. That's the big difference now in New England. I, I think Mac Jones is a punk. I don't think he's very good. I don't think the, his teammates really respect him. And I think you've got a collection of guys that just aren't in with the Patriot way of years past, and that's why you have this team that's an abomination at this point. Yeah, and it's so many. Uh, at least for the last two weeks. Well, it, They've been gross to watch. The first time we've seen Bill Belichick non-competitive by 30 points at home in his head coaching career. Non-competitive in consecutive weeks. Yeah, well, and they, the, the combined score, 72-3. to three. And it, getting boat raced by Dallas is one thing. 34 nothing to New Orleans at home. The same New Orleans team, Chad, that could barely put up 16, 17 points against the Titans in week one. And that has been desperate offensively. They've got a, a, a quarterback in car with a, a banged up shoulder. 34 nothing to score. Bad. And with Robert Kraft, who said, like, hey, we haven't won a playoff game since Brady's been here. And Mac Jones has actually took them to one, believe it or not. And it wasn't pretty when they played the, was it Buffalo? Yeah. In that, in that one game. But Kraft said that this offseason. And we've had Tom Curran on. We've heard from Mike Reese, two great reporters with, on that beat that say, yeah, the, the seat's warm. It's a, it's a quiet, hot seat for Bill Belichick. And now the athletic uh, siding a source saying, yeah, um, not only could Belichick be out, but it, it's always been assumed he could just decide how he wants to go out. You know, you, you could make this easier um, with the exit where he chooses to leave. And it, even in, in this report today, it, they're saying, well, Kraft may not give him that option. He may just fire him. That, that goes back to my offseason theory that this is more, you had the Belichick-Brady breakup and Kraft tried to keep it together. They called that last-minute meeting, trying to get those guys to, you know, kumbaya, and that wasn't going to happen. He leaves and goes to Tampa and wins a Super Bowl. Well, I think the breakup has happened from the top with Kraft, and I think that's why Bill O'Brien's there, quite frankly. I don't necessarily believe that Belichick wanted to bring in O'Brien, and that was more of a, 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 an ownership-led decision and it's just weird for as consistent, Chad, as the Patriots have been at the very, very top for them to be so inconsistent with some of the decisions that have been made at the top of the roster, which is at quarterback. Hutton, you know what I think about when I think about that Mac Jones playoff game in Orchard Park in the freezing cold? Ryan Fitzpatrick shirtless in the crowd. That was the game where Ryan Fitzpatrick showed up cheering on Fitz the Bills. Magic shirtless in, in the crowd. I, I do believe that was the game, if I'm remembering correctly. And I remember that, and I remember um, Dawson Knox had a big game and a touchdown, and the Patriots were terrible. And that's more in line with what's happening right now, Patriots being terrible. Uh, not terrible, so the, the quarterbacks in, in college football. And uh, Davey Hudson brings us the latest uh, on the, the odds for the Heisman Trophy, and they're just straight quarterbacks, Davey. Yes, that's right, Hut. We're going to do some college football rapid fire, and I've got six Heisman candidates. These guys 
all Heis their odds to win the Heisman plus 2,000 or better. And to start us off, we got several Pac-12 guys, as you might imagine, but Michael Penix Jr. Chad's guy. That, yeah, that's I how mean, I describe him. I'm going to let you go with this one, Hun, because you guys know how I feel about him. Impressive. And, and, and uh, he has a large number of receivers to spread the ball around to, but he's he started the season debut. Was it Boise that they played? Yeah. Five touchdown passes there. Yeah. That was a, an upset alert type game because it was expected to be high scoring, except all the scoring came from one team. And it, it, the consistency week in and week out, Chad, is why – Michael Penix Jr. is rightfully atop the list, uh, according to outkick.com slash bet for the Heisman Trophy currently. Such great accuracy and timing at all levels. I mean, the short passing game, the, the, the intermediate passing, and deep balls. I mean, that yeah. team will throw it all over you, all parts of the field, and it is Michael Penix Jr. that is the engine of that Huskies offense. I love them. And they... That that was my pick before the season, and they start and fast. I'm not I'm not changing right now. Although there's still some really good names on this list. Yes. Speaking of Heisman, the recent Heisman winner Caleb Williams, USC. I just think the bar to win a second Heisman is so insanely high that in the modern era, I'm not talking about Archie Griffin back in the early '70s. In the modern era, it's it's impossible to reach. I don't know what Caleb Williams can do to win the Heisman. I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, does he, you know, come close to going uh, 500 yards over last year's numbers and 10 touchdowns more? I just think if you do anything in the ballpark of a year ago, it's not going to win you a second Heisman. Voters are looking for someone different. They're looking for someone new, and that's going to cost Caleb Williams. Looking for something different, and I, this is not a knock at Caleb Williams. He, he won last year's trophy by default because – Hendon Hooker got hurt, and C.J. Stroud didn't perform up to the level against Michigan when he should have, when the voters are actually tuned in to watch. So who do you vote for if you don't want to vote for a guy that wasn't good against Michigan on national TV? Oh, uh, here's Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley. We're familiar with both. He got the votes. Again, no knock. Excellent quarterback. But it was going to be C.J. Stroud or Hendon Hooker, and it ended up not being due to injury and poor play on national TV. I just want to say if they can continue to win despite the defense playing bad, that is his best shot to repeat. I, I agree, but the, here's the other thing, too. They've been putting up a ton of points, and he's been having sub-300-yard passing performances. They put up 56 or more twice this year when he's had less than 300 yards passing. They're extremely talented. There are ways, and I'm giving – I'm. I'm an example just now. There are ways that the voters will find a way to to pass the vote somewhere else because they've just voted for this guy a year ago. Well, and and they'll, they'll count the defense against them as much as they should not and as much as they should be paying attention to the top players across the country. I just don't think the majority of voters do that. Well, to Davey's point, and I talked about an impossibly high bar to, to go over to win a second Heisman, part of that bar would be undefeated. Well, but, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, that That's... That puts you in the running to win a second Heisman. He's got to be – his team has to be undefeated. And we know that's not going to be his fault if they're not. It's going to be the defense's fault. But regardless, I, I think that has to be one of the factors that puts him into consideration and gives him a chance at winning a second trophy. And, and here's, what, here's the other thing, too. Uh, what does he do when the voters are watching? When the average uh, – one of the 900 voters – they'll be watching this weekend. How many games did they actually see that dude play a year ago when they gave him the trophy? That's a question I would pose to them. Uh, not many. 
and they watch when it mattered. This week matters. They've got November 4th, USC does, against Washington, against the current leader in the odds, and Michael Penix Jr. That will matter. And they also have the gauntlet of the Pac-12 schedule with all the transfer quarterbacks coming up. I saw the two Utah losses, but on to our next one. That's true. Bo Nix, Oregon, our final Pac-12 quarterback on this list. I don't know how this happens, Chad. I don't know how this happens going from one program where he is the, he's a generational player for them. He's a legacy, a, three, a, third, a third generation legacy player, goes to Oregon and is putting up the type of numbers to where Mike Renner's in studio with us saying, completely different player, looks totally different than what we saw at Auburn. It's coaching. Um, it's just getting more comfortable. You know, I think it's also Bo Nix just improving as he goes along and becoming more and more comfortable with being a college quarterback, seeing things better. But for him to win the Heisman, we're talking about his chances of winning it. I mean, it starts Saturday. Yes. Right? Ball out and win in a shootout against Michael Penix Jr. We, to me, that gets it started. It gets it started towards the comparison of Joe Burrow. And you Burrow, have to win the game. Towards the comparison of Joe Burrow, where he leaves, goes to LSU, wins it. It would be a similar storyline because Oregon would be on that path out of the Pac-12 after beating who we believe to be the top team in the Pac-12. One of the top players in baseball, Hall of Famer Tom Glavin, joins us next on Hot Mike. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here across the Outkick Network. Game three underway between the Braves and Phillies. No score. Bottom one uh, in Philadelphia. Chad, we've uh, long mentioned Tom Glavin is one of our favorites. Uh, described uh, just as you hear the name, you think of your childhood. We're not trying to date him or make him feel old. Well, but we should say our childhood. Our childhood, yeah. Not everyone's childhood. Oh, no doubt. Certainly no doubt. not. I don't think when Tom was growing up, he thought Tom Glavin oh, in his childhood. No, no, no. He was watching someone else. But we think Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin joins us, the Hall of Famer, uh, here on Hot Mike with Honey Withrow. Great to have you on. Thank you for the time. My pleasure. I apologize. My uh, headphones don't seem to be wanting to hook up, but we'll make the most of this. But hey, happy to be with you guys. It, it you sound great. great. Tom, when you hear us say that you remind us of our childhood, who's the player that, when you think of your childhood growing up, that reminds you of, of watching the game? Um, well, the first guy that comes to mind would be a different game, Bobby Orr. Yeah. Uh, Second guy would probably be, man, it's kind of that era, Fred Lynn, Jim Rice, uh, Carlton Fisk, kind of that that era. I was a little too, I remember Yaz, but I was a little too young, I think, to be a huge Yaz fan. Tom, we were mentioning earlier in the show, we believe the winner of Game 3 wins this series. Do you agree? Um, I would um, I would not bet against the winner of Game 3. Yeah, I think it would be tough for... Uh, It'd be tough for either team to win to to try to win two in a row the way both both pitching team or both staffs pitching is lined up for the last two games. Does it feel like five games is not enough 
to decide the NLDS or, or ALDS after the 162 games. This, this feels like too short a series, especially for these two teams. Uh, you know, in, in this scenario probably is, but I think that's part of what um, makes all the chaos fun, right? Um, I'm a big fan of the extra round. So uh, in order to have the extra round, you're going to have to shorten these rounds. Um, you know, that's kind of the price you pay. But, um, you know, having said that, as you guys know, as I've experienced, uh, over 162 games, the best team usually wins, or I should say always wins. In a short series, it's not always the best team. It's just the team that is performing the best at that time. So that's what makes it scary in those series. You get behind the eight ball a little bit, and you don't have time to recover. I, I want to ask you, Tom, about uh, both adrenaline and nerves uh, and the flip side of that. And, and I've heard this throughout the playoffs Watching Max Freed the other night, first inning, he throws a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. And I, I think it may have been Jeff Francoeur on the call who said, boy, this is uh, – he's pumped up. This is adrenaline in the first inning. What would your advice be to a pitcher that's experiencing postseason adrenaline? Is it to harness or is it to let it ride? Well, I mean, it's a combination. I think if you can you, – you, in order to – let it ride. You got to learn how to harness it. Right. I mean, I think most guys will tell you myself included um, when you feel too strong and you're throwing a little bit harder than you're kind of used to uh, your command usually suffers and you know, you generally don't pitch as well as a result. So, um, you know, I would never necessarily tell a guy, Hey, back off. But I, I, I think there's a difference between, Hey, back off in terms of don't throw the ball so hard and back off in terms of effort. Right. I mean, I think when you get into those situations, your, your feeling is that you're just letting it ride every pitch. You're letting it go as hard as you can. Um, the whole max effort thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's necessarily anything wrong with that at times, but it's tough to pitch at max effort all the time. So, you know, I think my thing would be, all right, you can throw 98 when you want to, but let's dial it back maybe and throw 96, see if we can't throw the ball where we want to and kind of harness that energy a little bit um, and 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 save the 100% for every once in a while when you need it, if that makes sense. Tom Glavin with us. How do you survive a game with just one pitch working? <laughs> uh, not easily, I can tell you that. Um, it's difficult, right? I mean – you know, assuming you have that one pitch that's working and is and is dialed in and, and is on command, then, you know, you, you have to be smart about how you use your other pitches to try to set that pitch up or to keep people off that pitch, right? I mean, as a hitter, if you can eliminate pitches or eliminate locations, you're narrowing a guy down and you're making your job as a hitter easier. So um, particularly if you can eliminate pitches. Now, I know for me, um, if there was a pitch that I was struggling with on a given day, I, you know, you don't abandon it. You just pick spots where you can use it that if you miss, it doesn't hurt you. Or you make sure that if you do miss, you miss in the right spot. Don't miss over the plate. You know, miss down or miss up or, or out of the zone. But you're still bringing that pitch along because, it, look, it happened to me a lot of times where – I might not have a pitch in the first or second inning, but I keep using it. And then the third inning is like, oh, there it is. Okay, here we go. And now now you've got it. So you can't abandon it. You know, you hear so much about crowd noise in, in football affecting the opposing quarterback, getting the playoff, false starts, th things like this. I've heard so much about Philly being the loudest place in baseball. 
right now. It was a year ago, and early on it seems to be that way again here in Game 3. You've pitched in some crazy environments in the postseason. How does that affect the starting pitcher when a place is truly loud? Look, I mean, we all feed off the off the crowd, right? Good and bad. Um, you know, when you're at home and the crowd's loud, you know, they're generally on your side. Things are going well. You feed off that momentum. When you're on the road and they're loud, they're trying to either get you rattled or there are things going on that they're excited about. So um, in either case, it's not generally a great scenario for you being on the mound, but you have to do your best to A, drown it out, but B, silence it, right? I mean, that's that's the goal of going out there as an opposing pitcher on the road is you want to keep that crowd as quiet as you can. So, um, you know, that's where experience comes into play. You know, people talk all the time about experience versus talent in the postseason. Look, I'd, I'd love to have a combination of both, but I just think the experience factor makes it easier for guys to deal with all of that stuff and then ultimately focus on what the job is at hand and then trusting themselves to do that job. You know, trust is a big thing. Um, and when you don't have it, particularly on the road, it's hard to execute. Tom Glavin, our guest, Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. How do you explain, Tom, Kershaw in the postseason versus regular season? I can't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know, it's it's just one of those things, right? I mean, look, he's uh, a Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, for whatever reason, it's been a struggle for him in the postseason. And, and you know, obviously, if, if he knew what was going on, he'd have figured yeah. it out, right? I mean, something. I mean, that, that's the thing. So, obviously – you know, I think for him, it's just one of those things where he's trying to trying to figure it out, trying to get better, probably trying not to think about it. But inevitably, um, you know, he seems to have that one outing in the postseason every year that, that you know, doesn't go so well. But, um, I, you know, I don't know. It's just some guys and I'm not saying he's nervous or he's any of that stuff. Right. I just think that for whatever reason, um, you know, some guys struggle postseason, some guys feed on postseason. And unfortunately for him, he's one of those guys that struggled a little bit. You have one of the more celebrated postseason pitching performances in the history of the game. Game six, 95 World Series, one to nothing win, combined one hitter in that game. There were a lot of things going on around that game. I know that morning with a quote uh, that was put in print from David Justice, uh, who did redeem himself in that game with the home run about Atlanta fans. But when you wake up on a day of a game like that, are you thinking at all about long-term ramifications do you think about legacy and what this would mean and all that? Does that do you even allow that to creep in your brain before a performance like that? I mean, I think I did to some extent, right? Because uh, truth be told, I was I was not happy that I had to pitch that game. Um, you know, we had to we had an opportunity to win Game Five in Cleveland and put the series away, and we didn't, and and it was frustrating, right? I think anytime you're on that on a team like that, you want to put a series away. You don't want a team to get any kind of life or any kind of notion. So you know, we were all disappointed that that we didn't win and end the series there. And it, and it really wasn't until we landed in Atlanta that I really started to embrace the opportunity side of it, the legacy side of it, right? And that's what I thought about is like, hey, you got an opportunity to do something for this team, for this city that we've been chasing for a while. You get the chance to go out there and be the guy to do that. So, you know, that at that point in time, I embraced it. I guess as far as game day went, I would almost say you go the other way sometimes and trick yourself into thinking, you know what, this is not that big a deal. Yes, it's a big game. Yes, it's, you know, people are going to be rooting 10 days from now. Nobody's going to think about it. Nobody's going to care. You know, so you almost you almost try to trick yourself the other way, day of the game. Um, but I think for me, like I said, it was just the opportunity and then ultimately uh, going out there and, and trying to cash in on it. 
Meanwhile, 28 years later, someone like me, I still care. So <laughs> certainly didn't go away 10 days later. Did you guys discuss at all the David Justice stuff where he was comparing Braves fans to previous years, saying the stadium wasn't as loud? Um, did, did you joke with him about it and say, hey, maybe go out and do something big tonight? Was that a distraction no. at all? No, I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't a distraction because we had to talk about it a little bit, right? And, and you know, at that stage of the game, all you want to talk about is the game and what's going on. You don't want to talk about stuff like that, that, that periphery stuff that's kind of the noise and the distraction. You don't, you don't want to talk about that. So, you know, it was a little bit of a distraction, but I, I think it was taken a little bit out of context, right? I think that, look, there, there was obviously, I don't, I don't know that anything would have equaled what went on in that city in 1991. I mean, we came out of nowhere. The city was on fire. It was electric. Everybody was behind us. And now here we are four tries later you know, the fans were still excited and into it, but it was probably a little bit different. So I think we understood what David was trying to say, but ultimately what he was trying to do, he was trying to fire the fans up. He wanted us to have a, a distinct home field advantage. And that's where he was trying to go. I just think it was a little bit misconstrued, um, you know, and, and probably brought um, a little bit more attention to it than there needed to be. But thankfully, like you said, he, uh, you know, came talk through soft, talk softly and carry a big stick, right? Yep. Uh, speaking of uh, big sticks, uh, segue here, Tom Glavin, our guest. Um, have you thought about uh, – the, he mentioned legacy. Chad mentioned legacy to you. Have you thought about if we had the permanent DH role in place in the 90s, would Chicks dig the long ball commercial? Would that actually have been shot for Nike <laughs> with you and Maddox? No, probably not. Um, my trophy case would be much lighter because I wouldn't have four Silver Slugger awards. <laughs> nope. there, so. um, you know, no. Listen, I'm um, – Leading up to it, I was not a fan. Um, I'm still ultimately probably not a fan, but I did come down on the side of I got so tired of watching how bad the pitcher's hitting was that it 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 almost like it, it almost disgraced me into being a, a, on board with the DH. So, um, you know, I don't I don't love it. Like when I played and we played an American League team and we had a DH, I felt like I was missing a portion of the game. Um, I always felt like when I was in the lineup offensively, I was an advantage for my team over the guy that I was facing. Now that wasn't always the case, obviously, but most of the time I felt like it was. Um, so those are all, you know, those are all little things that you, you look forward to, you look at. Um, so, you know, I mean, the purest in me misses it, but I get it. I get why they had to do it. So I, look, uh, this may be my biggest old man complaint. And this was towards the very end of pitchers still batting during games before the permanent DH. The lack of bunting ability oh. in Major League Baseball in the end. And I, I, I remember distinctly watching Braves teams where the pitcher could not lay down a bunt and get it on the ground. Drove me insane watching it. Was that a point of irritation for you as you watched the game years after you were done playing? A thousand percent, because to me, there's no excuse for that, right? I mean, I know... Look, most of our guys in our, in our on our rotations were all pretty good hitters, right? And for pitchers, we weren't automatic outs. We were going to make the guy at least make some pitches, right? We weren't going to stand up there, take three pitches, and go sit down. We were going to make them work a little bit, and we'd mix in some hits. But ultimately, we could all bunt, you know. And I know, I know how I felt about it. I would venture to say the other guys felt the same way. But it's like I always said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Bobby enough reasons to take me out of the game because of my pitching. I'm damn sure not gonna let him take me out of a game because I can't not lay down a bunt, right? There's just no excuse for that. And and when you look at it over time, I don't know how many more wins I got because I stayed in the game in the sixth or seventh inning so I could bunt. And then your team scores a run an inning later and and, and you get the benefit of that win. 
you know, that was a lost art. But I will, I'll say this in, in defense for these guys today, you know, my generation, we all grew up playing multiple sports. We all grew up playing baseball. And when we weren't pitching, we were hitting third or fourth in our lineups in high school, right? These guys nowadays, they never pick up a bat. They play their pitcher only on most of their teams. So to think that they're going to spend their childhood never picking up a bat and then they're going to learn how to hit in the big leagues, good luck with that. And clearly it didn't work out so well. Knew you'd have a great answer to that one. You did not disappoint. Um, how much fun was the players-only broadcast? And the response to it was terrific with you guys in the booth. And I know you came back and did it again. But did it live up to your expectations? You know, I think it did based on the reaction. And, and I think it did for us, too. I know we had a ton of fun, right? I think the big thing going into that, at least for me and Frank Core, was we, did, we were trying not to get fired, right? Because God knows <laughs> your mouth. And I'll be honest with you. You know, when I get around those guys and it's that kind of locker room mentality, it's really hard for an F-bomb or something not to come out. It just is. So I think that was all of our biggest fears is when we got on TV that's, you know, not Smolty because he doesn't, he never says anything bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, something might come out. And I think that was our biggest fear. Um, but then I think, you know, when they when they brought that to us, the, the Bally's whole um, – idea so to speak was you guys are at a bar watching a game talking about it and everybody at home is at the bar with you that's what we want to see and I feel like we did that um the first go around no question about it now it you know I had a lot of people oh you guys should do that all the time I'm not sure people would want to watch a broadcast like that all the time because truth be told that first game we we barely talk about talked about what was going on in the field we did no play-by-play. -play. We did very little until later in the game, reminding people what the score even was or what inning we were in. But that was fun for the first one because we, you know, we had Smolty came to armed with a lot of stuff and information and things for us to rag on each other about. So it was fun, and I think we accomplished what we were trying to do. And then I think the second one, yo, yo, look, the first one we couldn't have had a better game, right? You got Braves, Mets, you got Verlander. Oh, yeah. Verlander, Strider, this is going to be a pitcher's duel. And by the fifth inning, there were 30 hits and all kinds of runs. And you know, so it was nothing like we had planned. And then you have a walk-off to win it. So, I mean, it couldn't have been any better. And I think that was our concern the second go round is how do you do it better? You know, the game was so good. How do you do it better? And, and I think we just tried to introduce a little bit more play-by-play, -play, a little bit more of a, of a traditional broadcast, and then mix in the story. So, I mean, I think people enjoyed it. Um, I'm just not sure, like I said, how much of it people would really want to see. Really enjoyed it, uh, is how we it would describe great. it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, always great uh, to have the chance to catch up uh, with uh, the, the players that meant a lot to us growing up. Tom Glavin, certainly one of those. Tom, great, uh, great visit. Uh, still no score. Bottom second now between Braves and Phillies. All right, we'll see what happens. It's a big game. We yeah. got it, man. Thank you. Let's Thank do this you so soon. much. All right, you guys have a great day. Same to you. There's Tom Glavin. I knew he'd be mad about bunting. Yeah, oh, pitcher's oh, not been able to do it. I crushed knew it, it on the answer, too. You're right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, thanks to Tom Glavin for joining us. Chad, still no score? No score going to the top of the third. Brent's uh, had two hits in the both, first, no, no runs. Yeah, Aaron Nola really good in the second inning. Uh, Bryce Elder so far good throughout. Struck out Bryce Harper in the first inning. And I think just ended um, the second inning with a strikeout also. How great was Tom Glavin? Always legit. So true, too. He was a stud hockey player growing up and had a chance to go play in the NHL, but ended up being a Hall of Fame pitcher. But about you know guys growing up, he said, hey, we were the third or fourth batter on all of our teams also because <laughs> we were the best players. You know, Now guys specialize so early if they're a pitcher that a lot of them, they stop hitting. You know, if there's a DH rule in their travel ball system or league or whatever it may be. Love talking baseball with Tom Glavin. That was awesome. Chad, uh, Chad's back, by the way. First day this week. Great to have great to have you back with Roe. Um, I haven't been able to get reaction on some of the bigger headlines that we hit on Monday. Yeah. Oh, let's get into it. Mario Cristobal. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I said this should be uh, that a call that bad or a, a gaffe that bad where – in high school, in middle school, you've got kids that would know what the victory formation signal looks like from the sideline, right? Yeah. And to not knee on the ball based on the clock management and knowing that you've got the game won because Georgia Tech's out of timeouts, that should be an offense that is fireable with cause in a contract. If you're doing something that egregious, making that type of money in that moment, and after the fact, he's owned it, how else could you? You can't approach it any other way, but he's done it before in his coaching tenure. He did it against Stanford, and he did it again this past weekend. I, I could not believe it. I mean, hell, some of the Miami players couldn't believe it. There's oh, that video I, of the I guy know. on the sideline yep. in tears saying, what the bleep are we doing after this happened? I, I, I And he's saying, he's saying, hey, we got to pick up and move forward. That's what he said this week. I don't know how you do I don't it. know how the players do that based on the reaction we saw. Based on the reaction and, um, I mean, look – Typically, athletes can be resilient. So right. next week may be totally different, but they're undefeated, and they lose to a terrible Georgia Tech team with no offense. And to lose in that fashion, knowing you are a victory formation away from any of the game. And then post-game, he did own it, but he also said, well, we talked about two hands on the ball, and no, 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 no. And also, you put, you put the kid in a terrible spot. Because that's on him. I mean, he's the one who fumbled it. You know, he didn't have to fumble the ball. He could have held on to it and he gets tackled and the game's over also, right? He didn't need to be in that spot. Oh, and then after the that, game has been you, played. After that, you had to make one tackle and the game's over you've too. You've gone that. 59 and a half minutes. The game is over. You, you coach and train and practice for that moment. You call victory formations. Yes. You take the snap. You take a knee. Game over. And instead, that happens. I, I was... I'm with you. I'm not one to overreact and say they should fire that coach before he goes to the locker room after something like that. Fans say that all the time. That's the one moment where I, I really thought to myself, if I were a Miami fan, I would stand up, turn my TV off, and hope that they fired the guy before he got to the locker room because of a mistake like that. That is – and that's his, in, in sports and coaching, as close to unforgivable a decision – that you will ever witness. That was because you, truly awful. Because you had had that happen to you in the past. Like it's it's not like oh, and it's you got to have someone that's telling him. Yes, 
Like, I don't understand. That's a whole coaching staff. Yeah, he's the head coach. Well, he's, he's saying he's he should have stepped, in and, have stepped in, in and said that the offensive and coordinator. Have. And he should have. Of course. But that that is the head coach's job. Guys, you know, all the time. Guys, let's run it here. Guys, we like this alignment. Let's Or let's throw it here. Let's take a knee. Look at the clock. If it's true what he's saying and the offensive coordinator's not paying attention to the clock, he's just running, you know, hey, we're working oh, clock. Man. Come on. But it can't that, that can't bad. happen given the circumstance of his of his past. That's what I'm saying, and uh, that's his dream gig: leaving Oregon, going to Miami. You know, having played there, he's got the. Sorry, man, you just don't overcome something like that. Truly terrible. You don't. That and hangs over you. When he, if he loses his job in Miami for poor performance, mark that moment down. That is going to be stuck on our brains forever, and we will always go back to that moment. I really think. It is like uh, uh, B.C. and A.D. Hmm. for him and in Miami tenure. I think it's before that and after that. I mean, look, it, it's one loss. They can turn it around. They may go undefeated and win the national title next year. But I am mentally marking that moment down as before the gaffe and after that gaffe. That was awful. Well, and it's, it's more than just going unbeaten. It's, the, it's what we see right now on the landscape of the ACC. Where you've got the you've got the unbeaten's and now you have Miami as one of the losses or with a one loss, uh, and then the, the the round robin where they're not going to play each other, right? Like Florida State, Louisville, we're not going to see that matchup, for instance. Um, Miami could, should should be in that conversation, and now they have the loss to Georgia Tech because of the coach. Yeah, David says in the YouTube chat also he didn't initially own it. He first started talking about ball security. The clip that I saw there about his playing was. He started the answer by saying, we talked about two hands on the football, yeah. which we'll go back and talk about. But what you said, Hutton, essentially, I need to get on the mic and say, you know, we need to take a knee here. That, that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, Chad, two other things. Uh, Chad, prop segment here. Number one, okay. um, last week you expected Georgia to really show the, the most complete performance. That everything was going to come together against Kentucky. And... LSU, Missouri. I know you didn't expect Kentucky or Missouri to win. I expected the over, though, to hit, yeah, which it hit. did. Yeah, and I'm saying that from Missouri's I do think, though, and we'll, I'm going to hit on Georgia and Kentucky in a moment. Missouri, though, will present problems despite this loss oh, yeah. to Tennessee and Georgia. Watch out for this because they are still spinning it with Cook. Uh, and Luther Burden, Burden is a legitimate yeah. difference maker yes. for any team in America. Yes. He's that good. If you get an off day against Missouri, you're no, probably Missouri, Missouri's with a, a loss. problem for everyone they play. There's that I, I am convinced of that now. Now I don't, you know, they're not an SEC East champion type team. No, no, no. But they're gonna present problems for I'm a little surprised that Kentucky's favored uh, in this game against Missouri. That 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 may be one to watch uh, later in the week when we go through this. If you listen to nothing else that I say every week. The only thing worth listening to that comes out of my mouth when it comes to predicting what's going to happen. Again, great at reacting to things, terrible at predicting things. When I give a pitch to Kelly in Vegas on Fridays, I think I'm 4-0 in that pitch. Now, she never takes my, my suggestion on this, but I told you on Friday that Georgia would cover the 14-and-a-half with ease. They won by 38 in this game. This is an annual right of autumn every year. Kentucky jumps out to a 5-0, 4-0, something along those lines, start to the season, and everyone gets super pumped about Kentucky football and all that Mark Stoops has done. Then the schedule gets difficult, and they go 7-5. and five. And that's not terrible at Kentucky. I'm not saying that it is. But that's what's going to happen with this Kentucky team. We see it 
almost every single year. And now you got Mark Stoops on his coach's show going after a fan saying, well, pony up some money if you want us to compete with Georgia. Not the best thing to say. Now, I know he, he walked it back today and came back and said, we had one guy who was frustrated, and he said something about we can't get over this hill, which is beating Georgia. And his response was, well, that's Mount Everest. He said, I've gotten over plenty of hills, but beating that team is Mount Everest is what I should have said and not gone down that road. By the way, awfully quiet compared to when Nick Saban said it about Jimbo Fisher, about paying for players, right? We're not getting the same response from Kirby Smart that we got from Jimbo when Nick Saban insinuated that was going on. Yeah. Anyway, um, Kentucky is... Timing is everything, though. Kentucky's a good team, not great. Georgia is probably great, and they're coming into their greatness again. See, I, Bad I, news for the rest of the country. Great, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I, what I do know is their roster's great. They're, oh, their roster's great. So I mean, if they put it together, they're gonna they're gonna be in the, in what, the playoff again. The 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 mesh between the the new coordinator, you know, and it, taking some time here. If they're really hitting their stride, Chad, this is not going to be much of a college football playoff if they're just now beginning to become great. Because I don't, there's not that one great team this year, and I'm I, if Georgia is. This is not going to be that competitive down the stretch of the season or once we get to January 1st and the college football playoff. If you put just statistics side by side, the two best quarterbacks, the most prolific passers in the SEC right now, Jaden Daniels one, Carson back two. And Beck continues to get heat. I don't and know he how. Was, he was great in that game. 11 he, touchdowns, been, three interceptions over the, the last six like games. He's completing 74% of his throws yeah. too this season. Good teams improve. Great teams improve to elite status. You know, is Georgia right there? Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I, I know the sentiment is, well, all of a sudden it's October the 11th and it's Bama and Georgia headed towards, I think, it, I think Bama loses again. I don't think Bama's winning out yeah, now all of a sudden. I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's a possibility. I think LSU could get them. Um, LSU's got the offense to score. I, I don't know if they can stop Alabama or anyone defensively based on the way they're playing defense right now. I think they can. I think Tennessee could beat them uh, from just player to player standpoint, right? Uh, I don't know that that's. Gonna, I'm not going to predict that. Milrow's been fine though. But it could happen. Milrow's been fine the last two weeks since he was benched. I just it's it's amazing how everything is settled from. Boy, Georgia's really kind of stubbing Saban's their toe, done. find a way to win. Saban's retired. They lose by ten to t- two. Oh, what what are we? Three weeks from the Texas game. Yes. Two weeks from Auburn, uh, almost upsetting Georgia. Yep. And two weeks later, we're sitting here saying, well, go ahead and book your tickets for Atlanta, Georgia, and Alabama once again playing for the SEC title. Meanwhile, Ole Miss, they're, they're not getting enough credit because they lost to Bama. And they, that was a game that for the taking for them based on the situation of that week. But it, oh, it's the first two-and-one start in conference play for Lane Kiffin. And, I mean, they've got a loss to Bama, a loss to Georgia, Coming up, yeah. they have a nine or ten win season in a schedule that's the exact opposite of last year. Yeah, last year it set up perfectly for them to be five or six wins. I think they were seven through. and zero. I want to say last year before yeah. they get the tough part was, of their schedule. And now it's uh, it's much more difficult, Chad. But I I like the way they played since that loss. Yeah. No, I it, they feel so much. Uh, they they're balanced. You know, they've got the great rushing attack uh, with Quinshawn Judkins and I'm blanking on his name, but the. Uh, Ulysses Bennett, the transfer from SMU, who's also a terrific running back. They've got a great backfield. Their defense is pretty good. 
I like that Ole Miss team. I really like LSU's offense. I think playmaker-wise, they're so explosive and difficult to stop. Um, going back to Missouri-LSU, I think that Brady Cook is such a sneaky, great quarterback. I know he threw the pick. He had the longest streak in the SEC of passes yep. without an interception going into this week. But it's his ability to run, too. Like, he's really better than you would expect him to be in both sides of his game. He's a better runner than you would expect, and he's sneaky that way. And they were up by 12 at one point. And he can drop it in a bucket. He threw for 411. Yeah. And now it's LSU's defense. He threw for 411, and 150 of that went to Burton. I like it. I like Missouri, and I still think Kentucky is going to be okay. Um, ten- Tennessee, though, I still don't know about. Vanderbilt's miserable. Florida, I think, is probably going to end up being pretty miserable also as the year goes on. Um, it's going to be at fun. at South Carolina this week, right? South Carolina, this is a big opportunity for them. This is one they, they need to get uh, based on expectations this year. This is one you can't drop. This feels like when Tennessee hosted South Carolina a couple weeks ago where you're saying, oh, boy, Tennessee loses this game at home. The bottom might fall out of their yeah. season quickly. That, that's what this game feels like to me for South Carolina on the reverse side of that. They need to beat Florida. It is uh, Denver at Kansas City for Thursday Night Football. We'll preview that game coming up tomorrow here on Hot Mike. Chad, uh, Will Ferrell, um, the, the old fraternity here, yeah. and the DJ aspect. This was his fraternity that he returned to. This is uh, awesome. You know, he shows up, and he's done some things on stage with his son, I believe, who's in a band, and he's played the cowbell before. But the, randomly showing up as the DJ, and then the, the, the crowd behind him, too, is awesome. Yeah, and it just totally in character. Yes. Completely, you know, just he is the DJ. There's no breaking. This is like a great SNL sketch where there is, you know, he, he's not the one breaking and laughing during the cowbell sketch. It's Jimmy <laughs> Fallon and everyone else around him. The kids around him are loving it, but he is completely you, serious that he is the DJ. You made the point, too, like the one kid behind him who puts kids the arm around Kids, like, touching his, his shoulder and his yeah. arm. And I'm like, man, pretty bold of you just to go start grabbing uh, Will Ferrell, who's in front of you. And he doesn't even break stride. Doesn't acknowledge it. Just continues, you know, playing the ones and twos. However you do that, we'll have to ask Colin. He seems like he knows DJ right. better than the rest of us. However you DJ, that's how he was DJing. Chad, great to have you back. It's good to be back. We'll be back tomorrow. Braves are on the board. Eastern. Good. We'll recap that. Look ahead to the weekend as well, which officially kicks off tomorrow. Join us. Hot Mike Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network.